It is Tuesday, October 4th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. Monday Night Football wrapped up week four in the NFL. Aaron Judge down to three games to get number 62. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. Welcome into Straight Out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. San Francisco 49ers take out the LA Rams 24 to 9. Kyle Shanahan improves to 9 and 3 against the spread against Sean McVay. A new QB1 in Pittsburgh. Sources say it's happening. Tons of injuries around the NFL to discuss. Luis Severino, seven innings of no hit ball, but Aaron Judge stuck on 61 homers. What's the Vegas lead? The Vegas lead's got to be Monday Night Football, and the San Francisco 49ers really make in a statement with their defense, I think, against these L.A. Rams. Well, especially when you consider the pass rush all yeah. over Matthew Stafford in and this, this game. This is what we said yesterday morning. The team whose offensive line is able to hold up the best is going to have the best shot at winning. Two teams that had big offensive line questions coming into this game. Matt Stafford gets sacked seven times. Jimmy Garoppolo gets sacked zero times. That's the difference in the game. Matt Stafford was not able to let anything develop down the field. 49ers just dominated on that side of the ball. Yeah, not a single 20-yard play in this game for the Rams offense, and they just settled for field goals. No touchdowns either. Uh, let's break down this game a little further. Let's welcome in Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the Super two Contest. Two times, two times. Two times, two times. Joining us here on Straight Out of Vegas AM. Fez, thanks for being with us here. Thank you for inviting me in again. So, Monday uh, Night Football. Hey, hey, guys, guys, I I got a few minutes. Before. You good? No, no, I was just saying, I got like five, ten minutes if you need anything from me. We got you on the schedule for tomorrow. Yeah, I thought you were tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> I saw Faz and I figured that it'd be like, no, 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 no. We, we'll we're make, kinda, we're kind of like partners, Faz and I. I know, but we, we'd like to keep it separated. We'll, we'll have you on tomorrow. All right, all right. <laughs> That's uh, R.J. Bell yeah, who, in to the studio. He'll be on tomorrow. Go wait your turn. What are you, what's he on the company? I mean, yeah. I can, I can <laughs> We're good. We're good. Thank you. All right, R.J. <laughs> that was unexpected. Uh, Fez, R.J. trying to steal your spotlight there. R.J. will be with us tomorrow, right, A.J.? We are confirming that we, we will have R.J. on tomorrow. Sure. 100%. Can't yes. confirm. <laughs> okay, so we'll keep that. But Fez joins us today as we react to Monday Night Football. So the 49ers pick up the win. Now everybody in the NFC West is 2-2. Two and two. You know, my first takeaway, I saw the Rams got over 20 first downs. And now... Any dynamic plays, obviously, because there's no yards. They average under four yards per play. How do you get 20 first downs? Zero plays over 20 yards. Mm-hmm. Dink last night. and dunk and nothing down the field. Right? This was Matt Stafford under duress all night long, going to his first read all night long. A uh, lot of stuff underneath Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby. Nothing developing down the field for the Rams. Yeah, and with predictability of the dink and dunk comes the eventual pick six when somebody jumps her out, and that certainly happened. And what's funny, Matt Stafford throws the pick six, and in the box score, you'll see the pick six. Mm -hmm. What the box score won't show you is there was another dropped pick six and another dropped just pick like, Matt Stafford's night could have been a lot worse than it was. Now, that that is a sage observation because oftentimes we say, oh, that's, you know, that's a nine-point turnaround, that pick six, and that changed the final score. But I would make the case in the second half, we had a uh, 
two straight series where bad stuff happened to the 49ers. Specifically, they got a five-point lead, no problem, They'll drive the length of the field. They're on the one-yard line, touchdown, go up 12, penalty, uh, wipes out the seven points, they have to settle for a chip shot field goal. And then their next possession, another fairly short field goal, only this time they miss it. Mm-hmm. I can make the case they should have gotten 10 points and they only got three, so the yeah. pick six only got them back to where they should have been anyways. This game never felt close, to be honest. You know, I was on the under. AJ, you were on the 49ers. I don't think either of us were sweating the entire night. No, and I, I'll say like it was 7-6 to six at one point in the second quarter, and I was worried that the 49ers offense was going to continue to sputter along. But if you, you were never in a worry that the Rams were going to suddenly explode and the 49ers couldn't keep up. It was just a matter of if they, if the 49ers could separate themselves a little bit, which eventually – and the pick six really just sealed everything. But – because both, both these teams in spurts this season have shown some bad offense. Yeah. And with the, the 49ers, it's understandable because they, they're – this isn't the offense that they plan to run all offseason. 49ers, best defense in the NFL. Can we even make a case for anyone else? Ooh, it, it, I mean – Cowboys' cur- pass rush is pretty, pretty – As currently constructed, I'd say yes. I mean – Listen, the, the Bills, that, that's not – the Bills' defense today isn't what it was in week one. So it's – its mm-hmm. I, I would say right now, yeah, it's the 49ers. Um, Green Bay, too? I heard Dallas. Yeah, that, that was – That's that, Dallas' that, pass rush. That was interesting, yeah. But the uh, – you know, part of it with you only – Philly's had a hell of a pass rush, too. Only Philly's four – yeah. yeah, only four games in. I tend to, like – I, I want to look at the resume beforehand, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm still waiting – the expectations well, listen, along with the performance. They The 49ers played an interesting style of defense in the secondary tonight because the, the pass rush was there. But in the secondary, they allowed everything underneath. Cooper Cup had 14 catches yeah. in this game, but he never beat them down the field. Allen Robinson, is, is that guy on the team? I know they signed him, right, to be like the number two wide yeah, receiver. Yeah, but listen, if, if plays aren't developing down the field, what use is Allen Robinson? Like, if your if your deep threat isn't able to get down the field, when when are you going to give him I the ball? Saw, I, I've been seeing him down the field plenty. He's the doing dude, a lot of cardio. Dude is not getting any any <laughs> separation on any of his routes. You know, he was a bust for the Bears. Also, here's a guy that's just hated in the fantasy football every year. It's like they lose, yeah. they pull the football away as you try to kick Allen Robinson. <laughs> You know, they utilized uh, Ben Skoranek coming out of the backfield a couple of times. And he Who? Caught, yeah, exactly. He caught a couple of passes. The 14 catches for Cooper Cup, by the way, is a career high. 19 targets in this game. It's like Matthew Stafford has just the one outlet that he trusts. And when that outlet is allowed to, you know, that you play a bend-don't-break style against him, he doesn't find the end zone. The Rams don't have success. I mentioned at the beginning of the show Kyle Shanahan now 9-3 and ATS against Sean McVay. What is it about this matchup that is just so, is so lopsided? Because it's funny, if you go around the NFC West, we talked about this yesterday morning, hmm. historically, Pete Carroll's owned Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's sure. historically owned Sean McVay. Sean McVay's Sean historically McVay owned, owned Cliff Park. Kingsbury. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, these these matchups, it's almost like the NFC West, you can pretty much tell who's going to win each game based on who the head coach is. But why aren't we betting more on these? It's a good question. It's, <laughs> it's a, a good fair, question. Very good question. But is there anything that you see, and maybe Mackenzie Rivers, who, who knows the Shanahan scheme so well, is there anything you see that leads to Kyle having such a matchup advantage against Sean McVay? Or maybe not. What do you think, Fez? You know, I'm going to be honest here. Matchup edges are just not my forte. It's not something that I excel at, and I'm more black boxing of at some point 
it hits statistical significance. And I say, all right, I'm going to bet the 49ers in any good spot against the Rams, but I'm really unable to identify why that's occurring. Here's what I do know. The Rams offense, they need to be able to run the ball. Yes. They couldn't run the ball against Buffalo in week one, and they couldn't protect Matt Stafford. It was this was a this was a replay of that game it, with a less explosive offense on the other side. What has happened with Cam Akers? Is he in the doghouse? Cam, no, Cam Akers had a severe injury, and he's not the same guy. Mm-hmm. Cam Akers isn't. He doesn't have the explosiveness. He's mm-hmm. not a lead back anymore. Mm-hmm. So he came out tonight and he got his touches, eight eight carries, thirteen yards. If that's your if that's your stat line, what what incentive does that give Sean McVay to to feed you more? He, and Daryl Henderson is long proven to be just a guy in this league. So the Rams don't have anything. They don't have a two-headed monster at running back. They've got a, a, a two-headed man at running back. But they, and don't it, even, they don't even attempt it. I mean, it, Looking at their, their two running backs, and Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers, through four games, they each have 34 and 38 attempts. You know that, That's four games worth. We've seen... Nick Chubb have 30-something carries in one game. Yeah. Not well, 30. Nick, Nick Chubb gets 13 yards and two carries, not yeah. an eight, though. <laughs> but this was this was what worked last year for the Rams. And this offensive line is a different offensive line. You can't be as pass-heavy if Matt Stafford's not able to let things build down the field. And that's what we're seeing. And, and the Rams, are they're so one-dimensional that it's easy to say, pass rush, go, tee off on this guy. And there's nothing the Rams can do about it. You could make the case that this was a horrendous week for the Los Angeles Rams. Not only did they get punked by the 49ers, but uh, Arizona and Seattle come roaring back to life. And their path to the playoffs just got a whole lot worse. So every team now in the NFC West is 2-2. Odds to win the division, Rams plus 110, 49ers plus 120, Fez. Boy, that feels like wrong team favored, doesn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. 49ers are the better team. They've already got the halfway to the head-to-head tiebreak. Didn't we talk about this on yesterday's show, AJ, that if you like the 49ers in this game on Monday Night Football, then you should take the 49ers to win the Bet division? Bet them to win the division because we don't look at Seattle and Arizona as real threats to win the division, even though they've got the same record as the Rams and the 49ers. It feels like there's two classes to this division. And, uh, you know, through one matchup, the 49ers certainly outclass the Rams. So. I thought that that was the better bet, which was, what, plus 250 a day yeah. ago. So I said, if, if you like the Rams or if you like the 49ers to win this game, bet them plus 250 to win the division, that's going to be a better payout for you long term. Mm, I like that, especially now Now they've gone down to plus 120. Question while we're on divisions, one more question about that. What's the best division in football? It's the NFC East. No, no, it's, it's a serious response. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going by record. Well, no, no, no. We don't go by. We go by. No, but all right. Wait, wait, what, what? What is the strongest uh, power-rated division? Uh, it's probably. This is a really tough question. Honestly, yeah, they I, all stink. They all I, stink. Is right. I mean, the NFC North. That's what I thought. Ravens and Bengals. The ba- Certainly, when Watson. Comes oh, back. you said the AFC North. Oh, but the oh, NFC sorry. North. AFC North. But, AFC but North. Cleveland. But Cleveland, with Watson coming back, great. Yeah. But Pittsburgh could be like a bottom five team. Sure. You know? Well, it's the same thing as the NFC East. I mean, the yeah, commanders I mean, are terrible. But It's got to be the AFC West still. Nothing's I think it is the AFC West. I, I think McKenzie's right. Because, right, because even, got, even the Raiders, who are 1-3, and three, don't feel like a bottom five team. You have an average team in the Raiders. You have an average team in Denver. And you've got an elite team in Kansas City and a darn good team in the Chargers. Yeah, I think so it's still I, the I AFC West. I agree that we want to get past that narrative 
that or the latest is that the AFC West was overrated. Mm-hmm. It was, but it's still the best. All right, let's take a look at these teams from Monday night and how they project forward to this coming Week 5 matchups. We'll start with the Rams, who host the Dallas Cowboys. This is interesting, Fez, because the line opened up at 7 and has been bet down significantly. I see Circa has 4.5. Westgate has Rams 5.5. So the lines went down when the Monday night game was occurring. So now today... These lines will be coming up first thing in the morning. I will predict that the books reopen these numbers here at three and a half. Oof, that is a massive, massive adjustment. Now, is that going to be anti-Rams money? I, I have to assume because we've seen Dallas. Dallas has been in the clubhouse. That's a lot of anti-Rams sentiment. Yeah, we already saw the anti-Rams sentiment uh, with the look-ahead line yeah. last week where everyone was betting plus six um, and six and a half, and then – after the games on Sunday, when when Dallas looked good against Washington, obviously the Rams hadn't played. We saw this line get reopened up, and those that plus six got gobbled up hard down to four and a half. Okay, let's talk about the 49ers for a second because I want to know: Did you upgrade the 49ers at all today? Yeah, for, from, yeah. from I, last night's game, I'm going to upgrade them a full point because the biggest concern was they couldn't protect their quarterback with Williams being out, and that was not a problem. Now at all. here's they my- went down to the third string tackle last night also, and they still protected Jimmy Garoppolo. The problem is, you're right, and, and the offensive line, which was the big concern, was looked great last night against the Rams. This still is not a very good offense. This is still a an offense that wants to run first but has an injured running back. Jeff Wilson's a replacement guy. It, it, the And the offense puts up 17 points. It looks like 24 because they get the pick six. That's three out of four weeks they've been subpar on offense, and the one week they were above par on offense – was against a dreadful Seattle defense. So are the 49ers good enough on offense for us to really take them seriously? As long as Debo is healthy. He's so dynamic, and we mm. saw that you know, with, his, yeah. with, with his, um, his touchdowns, long touchdown. The, um, I'll make the case, you know what, let's throw the Chicago Bears game on the Bermuda grass in the monsoon. Let's just throw it in the trash can with Trey Lance. I get it. We're but you have to throw that in the it. trash can anyway because it was Trey Lance. Like, it, it, that's not this offense. Yeah, anyway. that was a preseason game. Throw that out, everything everything looks a whole lot better. So looking at this game now against the Carolina Panthers, who are absolutely terrible, if five and a half, six, do we think that goes north now? Uh, well, it certainly has to. The question, does it, does it go all the way to seven? Boy, six and a half feels right to me. What do you think? It's six and a half. I still have no appetite for the Panthers. That's all I know. Well, that's it, it, it would have to be on the other side of seven for me to even consider it. There's the well publicized stat that when Carolina gives up 17 or more, they've yes. lost 24 that, straight games. That's 37 or more. They lose 20, 17 points or more. 27, you mean? No, yeah. 17. 17. 10 plus seven. How is that possible? Two touchdowns and a field goal. If well, that happens, they lose. I'm going to do a little actu- <laughs> high level actuarial math and. I'm going to project that San Francisco is a monster favorite to get 17 points. I would think so. I would think Although the total is pretty low. The total for the game, I think, was at 39 is what I saw on the look-ahead. So mm. if that opens up at 38, 39, and what's the team total going to be for the 49ers? If it's, if it's, a, if it's a total of 39 and they're a six-point favorite, let's say, then what does the team total have to be for the 49ers? 23, 22 and a half. So do we? I Is that more than seventeen? That's more than Fez? seventeen. Well, let, let me get back to you because I don't want to commit. Okay, yeah, no, it is. It is. <laughs> the, their Panthers. I said twenty-four straight losses when they allow seventeen or more. It's now one in twenty-six under Matt Rule. That includes the twenty-four Oof. straight losses. 
Mm-hmm. So 17 points for the 49ers, they will win that game. Think so, about it. How often can you have a 1 in 26 subset and you actually do better by like like taking off a few games and get to the 100%? You know, and going back to the Rams for a quick minute, we you just talked about earlier when we were talking about the best defenses, the pass rush of the Dallas Cowboys. We saw what happened with the Bills pass rush against these Rams. We saw what happened now with the 49ers pass rush against these Rams. What happens when the Cowboys get after the Rams? Are, are the Cowboys like a live underdog against the Rams? Oh, absolutely. Can I bet sack totals? I'm sure, sure. you can I'll find take that o- somewhere. Over sure. two and a half sacks? Yeah, that's what the number will be. I'll take over two and a half sacks. You know, I'm real. glad you brought that up because we're pulling back the curtain for kind of the wise guys. Wise guys really like betting sacks. And the reason being, it, it's very similar. It's to, like betting interceptions. It's. It wasn't the analogy I was going to use, but it's not incorrect. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking like there's there's a there's a point where the odds makers just will always set a sack total at two or two and a half for how much any one team will be. It's it's almost like in a baseball total. They don't like to ever go below six, and they don't like to ever go in a non-Colorado game above you know <laughs> ten. So and there are certain games that should be lower than six and higher than ten. And so whenever there's a, a sack total where there's going to be a whole bunch of sacks, the odds makers will, will, you know should make it three, but they never do. Yeah, and as far as interceptions, it's always like a half an half. interception. And uh, Gilles Gallant from the Action Network pointed this out that there were nine quarterbacks in Week Four that had plus money odds to throw an interception, six and three. Mm-hmm. A lot of bad quarterback play in the league. A lot right of now. passing going on. But and that, that's that's maybe a problem if there's a lot of bad quarterback play and passing is up. I also think analytics helps interceptions because more and more teams are starting. And we saw this at the end of the Kansas City Tampa game where um, I think it was Chris Collinsworth said, you know what, guys, there's 30 seconds left in this game. They need two scores. They really need to throw a Hail Mary. And Brady proceeded to chuck one. <laughs> Hail Mary asked the very next play. Yeah. And so I think more and more quarterbacks are like in the past, they just throw it out of bounds because mm-hmm. they didn't want to count against their stat line. And now teams have become more accepting of, hey, you know, there's times third and 20. It's perfectly fine to throw up that inter- that deep interception. Yeah, because because what's happening is coaches and whatnot, they are not um... – they're not counting certain interceptions against you. Yes. And like like for instance, third and long, you throw an interception 40 yards down the field, it's the same thing as a punt. Yes. So it's doesn't the coach won't doesn't look at that negatively as opposed to a first down interception. Yeah, no doubt. Oh well, Steve Fezzik has been our guest breaking down Monday night football from last night. We appreciate it, Steve. You want to come in on uh, Thursday morning and talk about the uh, the Thursday night game with us? Sure. I might just, like, go ahead and get a spot on Mackenzie's couch and sleep here tonight. (laughs) That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. If you want, you can sit in when we have RJ tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, I got research to do, boys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's Steve Fezzik. We appreciate it, Steve. A couple injuries to discuss in the NFL Uh, Let's start with the Denver Broncos. We just talked about them against the 49ers. Their offense didn't do much in that game. Offense hasn't done much all year, and now they're going to have to do it without Javante Williams, who's done for the year with a torn ACL, partially torn PCL, Mm. a torn LCL. Lots Lots of damage to that knee. That's a tough break for him out for the rest of the season. Yeah, they're going to have to rely on Melvin Gordon, and I don't know if they're satisfied with that because of his fumbling issues, right? Four fumbles through the first four weeks of the season, and they signed Latavius Murray 
to back up or compete and get some carries alongside Melvin Gordon now on that offense. And I think also important to the Denver Broncos defensively, Randy Gregory is going to be out for multiple weeks as he's dealing with his own knee injury. So you look now at this Broncos team, Everyone, well, I don't want to say everyone, I hate saying that, but there were a lot of people before the season that were extremely high on this Broncos team. They're 2-2 two and two to start the year, and without their starting running back, without a, a key pass rusher in, in Randy Gregory, now will face an, a, another disappointing team in the Indianapolis Colts. The game is in Denver, and right now uh, I'm looking at this Thursday night game, short week, to have to deal with a missing pass rusher and a missing running back and you're laying north of a field goal, three and a half, I don't know if I like that. But then again, Thursday night football has been hard for the road teams. It is uh, tough to go travel on a short week. We know there is a home field advantage playing in Denver. So perhaps the Colts, that's built into the line here as to why they are north of a field goal underdogs. And the Atlanta Falcons, without Cordero Patterson, who goes on the IR, with an, he underwent a knee procedure, so he's on the IR now. Of course, they've got the task of going to Tampa this week. And Tampa, who we just, we just saw the Chiefs have some really good success running the ball against Tampa, it's going to be a little more difficult for the Falcons with, without their guy, Cordero Patterson. Falcons are the only undefeated ATS team left in the NFL. They have covered the spread in all four of their games. They are eight to eight and a half point dogs in Tampa coming up on Sunday. Tom Brady, off a loss, had an incredible record. Tom Brady, off of two losses? I don't know if I want to go. You don't up want to get that. in front of that, yeah, certainly. And and obviously, if Atlanta wants to win this game, they want to shorten the game. Uh, you've got a big you've got a big disadvantage at the quarterback position. We know that. Going to be a lot of Tyler Algiers yeah, carrying the football. But uh, you would think that they'd want to control the clock. That's going to be a little more difficult to do. Uh, and like you said, a, a, a probably a pretty peeved Tom Brady. We should expect on Sunday. Teddy Two Gloves officially getting the start for the Dolphins at the Jets as Tua has been ruled out. The Dolphins are three-point favorites. Line looks like it's going to be three and a half. There are three and a halves on the board. There's also a bunch of threes, minus 120, minus 115. So this thing could get to north of a field goal. The Jets, though, I I tweeted this out last week, and I was kind of joking, but the New York Jets... Ruining survivor pools since 1960. <laughs> <laughs> As they upset the Pittsburgh Steelers last week, do they have it in them once again to pull off an upset here at home against the Dolphins? Uh, I'm going to go with no. Uh, I, whatever I, I saw this Jets team this week, I was not impressed. I thought they looked bad again. The Steelers just looked a little bit worse. And speaking of the Pittsburgh Steelers, they are going to stick with Kenny Pickett, the rookie first-round pick, at quarterback, looks like he is going to be the quarterback this weekend against Buffalo and for the rest of the 2022 season, that is according to reports. Yep, here's the tweet from NFL Media's Ian Rappaport, who says, quote, The Steelers are expected to move forward with rookie Kenny Pickett, sources say, as the first-rounder is set to replace Mitch Trubisky in the lineup. Kenny Pickett took over at halftime, and Coach Mike Tomlin, who addresses reporters today, said, quote, we needed a spark. Pickett went 10 for 13, 120 yards, had two rushing touchdowns, three inter 
interceptions. Yeah, Mitch Trubisky threw two interceptions <laughs> through three and a half games. Mitch Trubisky threw three in one half. So with the spark, it might come some flames, uh, but not not the kind that you're hoping for. I'm Bills- very curious to hear what Mike Tomlin says at his press conference today because if we we played the clip yesterday on the show of his post game press conference where he was like. We're not doing anything right now. Like the, we're going to talk about next week, next week, and and I'll make a decision or whatever. He didn't sound like he was going to start Kenny Pickett, and now it seems like he has changed his tune. We all know how animated he could get in a press conference. I'm very curious to see what it sounds like later today. Steelers coming off a loss, 14 point dogs at the Buffalo Bills, and that's the first time in their history that they are that big of an underdog. They are the only team the Pittsburgh Steelers are since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger to have never been at least a two-touchdown underdog. That's an unbelievable stat. Yeah, that comes from uh, Mackenzie Kramer. does great stuff for ESPN stats and information uh, for the Daily Wager. And that is unbelievable that in their history they have never been shows you how good they've been right Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record yeah and you go you know before that you know <laughs> the success they had with Bill Cowher and even before that so to see them as that big of a dog this week with Kenny Pickett getting his first start yeah kind of enticing I oh well sure it is listen Mike Tomlin is an underdog always kind of enticing now you're talking about a 14 point underdog for the first time in franchise history it's, We're going to get more into this game, especially, I'm sure, coming up on the Dream Preview podcast. Oh, no doubt. But doesn't it seem like Buffalo, with everything they've been through over the last two weeks, playing against the Dolphins in that heat and humidity, the the comeback and all the uh, the energy expensed in that game against the Baltimore Ravens, doesn't it seem like a game that they just want to get the win and get out of there healthy? You know, I, I would think that maybe if they hadn't lost that game to Miami. I, I think once they lost a game, I, I think it it sort of uh, lit a fuse on this team. That they, they thought maybe we could coast in spots, and the Bills realized, hey, listen, everybody's going to give you their best shot. Mm-hmm. You can't coast anywhere. So I, I'd expect another spirited effort from Buffalo, but I just think the Steelers are going to be a tough team to really blow out of the water here. They're going to make it ugly. As we get into Major League Baseball, the Yankees taking on the Texas Rangers. All eyes are on Aaron Judge to see if he's going to surpass Roger Maris and hit home run number 62. Well, Aaron Judge did not do that on Monday night, but there is still a story coming out of that game. Luis Severino making his third start since returning from the 60-day I.L., throws seven no-hit innings, and Yankee manager Aaron Boone does not allow him to go back out for the eighth inning. Here's how it sounded on the Yes Network when Severino came out at the end of the seventh inning and was greeted by Aaron Boone in the dugout. Check out this conversation between Severino and the manager Aaron Boone. Aaron's telling him, I- I've got to take out. And Sebi will not even look at him. He just keeps shaking his head. No, I don't want to go out. And if you read Aaron's lips, he's saying, I can't afford to let you finish this game. Severino wants no part of it and will not look at Aaron. And then finally, Aaron said, well, this is the way it's going to be. You have to leave this game. And Severino not thrilled. 
At that point, A.J. Severino threw 94 pitches in this game. Again, just his third start since coming off the I.L. Yeah, and he he faced the minimum batters through seven innings. Had one walk, and he got taken care of on the base path. So seven innings, 21 batters. 94 pitches is a high number through 20, 21 batters. I, it, I don't have a problem with this. The Yankees, if they're going to have any hope in the postseason, have to have quality pitching in the postseason. You don't want to burn this guy out, you know, chasing a, a no-hitter in a meaningless game when there are impactful, meaningful games to be played a week from now. Here's what Aaron Boone had to say after the game. It's a decision that sucks to have to make um, because he was, you know, very efficient too, you know. The decision would have been if he was through eight at that point. Um, you know, I didn't really want to go more than 90 with him today. I was going to try and let him finish that seventh inning no matter what. Um, you know, but with it only being the seven, you know, I, the biggest thing I told him, you know, obviously he wanted to stay in and go back out there. I think he understood is I wasn't going to take him to 120, 125, 130 pitches tonight. And and that's where it probably would have had to go to, um, you know, to finish something like that. So had it been the eighth, that would have been a decision. And and I probably would have, would have if it felt like he was sound, let him go. I don't blame Aaron Boone in this situation. I think he made the right call. I think he made the right call for his team. I get what he's saying. That's a tough conversation to have with your pitcher. Uh, and, and I wouldn't want to be in his shoes for that. But – you know where you know what shoes I'd rather not be in is when Luis Severino's got to leave the game in the eighth inning or the ninth inning or has to miss a start in the playoffs because he's got soreness now in that lat again. It, it, Aaron Boone's playing it safe. He understands how important it is for this team to perform in the postseason, uh, and I, I don't think he wanted to take any chances with it. Here's what Luis Severino said after the game when he was asked if he believed that he would have finished the no hitter. A, th- a thousand percent. I don't know. Get a no hitter is tough. You know, you, you need, you know, all your, your guys up there. But, you know, how I was feeling, you know, how the fastball was, I feel I would go to He said that he would have finished the no no, regardless of what happened here as far as taking him out of the game. The one takeaway you have to have, whether you're a Yankee fan or just someone on the outside looking in, is that a healthy, Luis Severino pitching the way he pitched in that game last night. That is a great sign for the Yankees going into the postseason. For sure. They absolutely need it. And while talk out of Houston, and and let's face it, Houston is who the Yankees are are chasing. That's the team to beat in the AAL. Uh, I I think the Yankees have a clear edge over everyone else, but they want to win the thing. The Astros' conversation right now is, which starting pitcher are we going to leave out of our postseason rotation? <laughs> and they've got, like, quality Christian uh, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, quality pitching. Lance that they're McCullers just probably going to get left out, yeah, right? They're yeah, they're going to leave a quality pitcher or two out of their rotation. The Yankees have the opposite problem. They're thinking, who are we going to pitch in a game four that's going to give us a chance to actually win? They can ill afford to lose Luis Severino. They need him to be healthy for so this, this, this series. This start last night has to give you confidence now. Garrett Cole in game one, Luis Severino in game two. I think Jamison Tyon is sure is played a- well enough absolutely. to absolutely. Yankees will play the winner of the Guardians against the third wild card team. That series will be in Cleveland. And right now, it looks like it's the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays are a game and a half back of the Mariners for that second wild card spot. And that's the team nobody wants to see. 
Nobody wants to see the Rays in the playoffs, I don't think. That, that's a team that, that with all the, the playoff experience, that seems like they're gritty. They're just a tough out. They're not as talented as some of the other teams, but they, the kind of ball they play is just tough to beat sometimes. And you and I have talked about this before, and I actually gave out a play last night on pregame.com, uh, Rays in the first five innings, because Tyler Glass now made his second start since coming off the I.L. His first start, he went three innings, allowed just two hits. One of them was a home run, so yeah, that he did give up one run. Last night, he goes three and two-thirds innings against the Red Sox, only allows two hits, strikes out seven batters. Wow. He's now, back. He's ready. I think he's ready. So he's not going to start now for the rest of this season. They'll probably have him throw a simulated game, some sort of side session, because the Rays only have, what, Two games left here uh, for the season. They have, uh, uh, yeah, t- today and Wednesday. And then it's the wa- – actually, no, he's not going to throw again. The ne- next time he'll throw will be in that first-round series. So I think they got to feel really good about their pitching staff. You got Drew Rasmussen, Shane McClanahan, and Tyler Glass now. In a short series. And Corey Kluber, really if you, you want to use a fourth yep. guy in Kluber. The Rays against the Guardians – with all due respect to the Guardians, with a healthy Tyler Glass now, I really like the Rays in that series. I, I'm with you. And then now it's Rays against the Yankees, and the only benefit that the Yankees will have, besides Severino looking great, is that the Rays will not be able to use McClanahan or maybe Glass now or Rasmussen for a second time right. in that series because they're going to have to use them in the series against the Guardians. Also, with that Yankees, we did tease it a little bit, but Aaron Judge did not hit home run number 62, so he is stuck on 61. Just one home run, AJ, in his last 12 games since he hit number 60. Yeah, one for four with a strikeout last night. Three games left, a doubleheader tonight. Uh, well, today and tonight, and we'll see. Aaron Aaron Boone said, I'm going to have to have that conversation with him if he's going to play both games or not today. And Listen. I think we all know, as long as Aaron Judge is at 61, he's going to get every at-bat that they can possibly get him. So wild that, you know, it comes down to this. First game is going to be at, uh, I guess, 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, it's games, both uh, games are in Texas. You got Jameson Tyone uh, against John Gray. And then the nightcap uh, will be at 8 Eastern time. Garrett Cole against uh, Undecided. Uh, we'll go over more of that in the look ahead. But I would assume Judge is in the lineup for both of those games. Maybe you DH him. So you give him like a half day off so he doesn't have to play the field. So have him DH one game and then play the field one game so it's not so much wear and tear on him. Or if he hits a home run in the first game. Oh, then he's done. You just sit him. Once he hits 62, he's gone. <laughs> Yeah. Like, he's not playing it again. And then, you know what? If he hits 62 tomorrow, he's not playing on Wednesday. No, I agree. That's it. So, uh, Aaron Judge still stuck on 61 home runs. Someone that's not stuck on any home runs, AJ, Albert Pujols. There was a time, and we talked about it, I believe, on one of the first editions of Straight Out of Vegas AM, the plus money bet on whether or not Albert Pujols was going to hit 700 home runs. You could have gotten plus money that he would have hit 700. Not only has Pujols hit 700, he's at 703 after blasting a two-run shot last night that passed. It helped him pass Babe Ruth for the second most RBIs in baseball history. It's unbelievable. and When you hear that number and that name, it's like, wow. And Babe Ruth... 
it's it's almost sad to see him fall out of the record books because it, he was baseball to me when I was a little kid. Like the mm-hmm. idea of Babe Ruth was bigger than than baseball ever was. And part of me, like in a way, I feel lucky I've seen Albert Pujols do all this. But in another way, it's like it's almost like killing your uh, your childhood when you hear like because you can't think of Babe Ruth as a real person. He's this mythical figure that did these things <laughs> that no other man could do. And I just saw Albert Pujols do this. So a really fantastic feat. I, we we discussed before the show what it would take for him to catch Hank Aaron, and it's probably two more seasons if if he had two good seasons or yeah. one well, great season. Well, not even one great season. He would need one normal season, but Albert Pujols is not really healthy enough now to have a normal season. He's only had about 300 somewhat at-bats this year. He would need to play next year, which he's not going to do, but he would need to play and get 500 at-bats. And I'm just being conservative here, right? He has, what, 60-something RBIs this year in 300 at-bats. He would need a full 500 to 600 at-bat season, and that's not what's going to happen if, for some reason, he changes his mind and comes back next year, which is not going to happen. Are you uh, high on the Cardinals in their postseason chances? Uh you know, I haven't I haven't paid much attention to the NL. I haven't watched a lot of the Cardinals. I know that the Cardinals, Paul Goldschmidt's having like this career revival. You know, they're as good defensively as anybody. I guess the question with them comes down to what kind of pitching are they going to mm-hmm. get in, in the uh, the playoffs? They are going to play the third wild card team right now. It's the Philadelphia Phillies, but the Phillies are one game back of the San Diego Padres for the second wild card. So that is still to be determined. Right now, odds on the Cardinals to win the National League plus nine fifty. One college football note: Yesterday, we talked about Paul Christ losing his job at Wisconsin. Yesterday, Colorado made a move letting go of Carl Durrell after two and a half seasons with the Buffaloes. 8-15 and 15 record, 6-9 and nine in conference. Started this season 0-5, 0-2 in conference. We've mentioned before, Colorado, one of the worst Power 5 teams, if not the worst Power 5 team in college football. Colorado needed to make a change. They make one today. Yeah, they're not good. Uh, I'm not surprised at this move. Um, you know, looking at the way that they have played this season, the expectations that people have on them are <laughs> one of the worst uh, win totals in all of college football, right? Yeah. Everyone expecting that they're going to win under their, what, two and a half, three games? And now it seems unlikely they're going to win a game. <laughs> yeah. What are they now on the year? They're 0-5 uh, on the year, okay? Uh, their next game is not until the 15th, so they're off this week. They're playing at home against Cal. Do you give them the new coach boost in that no. game? No, no. This is a bad team, this bad players. Team. This is a it's a it's a bad situation. I, I mean, I think that they could I could see them covering against Cal, but I don't see I don't see wins coming in this team's future. And you know, Pac-12 is not a murderer's row. No, but, but the the the, diff, the most difficult part of their schedule is yet to come. The most winnable game on their schedule was last week against Arizona, and they lost by 23 points. Yeah, so if, if you're getting smashed by Arizona, who are you going to beat on this schedule? You know, Oregon State's now a tough out. Maybe Arizona State at home. Maybe there's there's a, a breath of, of a chance they could beat Arizona State at home. Everything else is just it's a massive uphill climb. Yeah, this is just a, a team that's going nowhere, and change is made, but... And also, when the Pac-12 loses uh, the key teams in USC and UCLA, and 
you're going to be left with Colorado. It's it's just uh, the future of that conference still up in the air. And not one game this season of those five has been within three scores. Yeah. They've just been blown out of the water in every single game. So Colorado on the search for a new head coach. Sticking in the coaching conversation, uh, yesterday we did talk about Paul Christ being out at Wisconsin. So I have the odds on the next Wisconsin Badgers head coach. AJ, I will let you guess. Actually, no. We'll do it this way. The favorite is Jim Leonard. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. He's the favorite. Okay. He's the he's the, ah. the defensive coordinator who now takes over. And we had the conversation on yesterday's show about maybe they fired Paul Christ because... They didn't want to lose Jim Leonard to another job. Which, the, you know, the more I thought get, about he it. He can be the head coach now. The more I thought about it after you said that, that it kind of makes some sense. It's not an unreasonable thing to to imagine that that's just their way of locking in their, mm-hmm. their long-term coach. Absolutely. But like I said, defense the last couple weeks, not been great. Okay, so behind Jim Leonard in the odds, give me the name who's the next favorite. Oh. See if you get this right. I'm going to guess... Ryan Walters from Illinois' name is starting to pop up on things. The DC at Illinois. I think you're 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 getting too cute here. Okay, he is not among the ten names that I have in front. How of about me. Uh, how, how about Brian Harson? Brian Harson is not on this list. Again, I think you're getting too cute. You're overthinking it. <sighs> Who's a name that's popped up on everyone's list? Oh, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell oh, is on here. Yeah, he's not. He's news. not high on here. He's sixteen to one. <laughs> But the next favorite behind Jim Leonard is Bill O'Brien. Oh, okay. Bill O'Brien's name has been floated around. This is what happens, right? You get fired from a job, you go work for Nick Saban, and then you get another job. How about Willie Fritz out of Tulane? Did he make the list? Not on this list, no. I hate this list. Well, here's the third favorite, and this is one that I think is really interesting. I don't think it happens because I think his current employer is going to make him very happy. Lance Leopold. Lance Leopold. He's a name that's popping up everywhere. And well, Kansas but, fans like, don't don't talk about him. But, you can't take our guy. Can, the Kansas head coach, he's 5-0 and right now at Kansas. But what do we know about Lance Leopold? He's from Jefferson, Wisconsin. He played quarterback at Wisconsin Whitewater. He became famous as a head coach at Wisconsin Whitewater. Winning how many national championships? Uh, 2007, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2013, 2014. Runners-up in 2008. Man, they wish they would tear that banner down. This is a guy who bleeds Wisconsin. That's a great fit when you think about it, yeah. He is the third favorite behind Jim Leonard and Bill O'Brien to be the next Wisconsin head coach. And by the way, think about this. The Texas A&M-Alabama game, uh, not college game day. We're talking Kansas TCU. Who saw that coming preseason? Well, speaking of Alabama, let's talk the injury to Bryce Young. Nick Saban just saying he's day-to-day. Something that I'm, and I don't want to like be happy about a guy's injury, but something that has kind of raised my eyebrows a bit. My Jameer Gibbs Heisman Trophy ticket all of a sudden Looks pretty live. Had his best game of the season uh, last week against uh, Arkansas. Um, I think it's certainly live. I, it's it's become more and more difficult for a running back to win this trophy. Mm-hmm. 
but if if they're going to give it to someone in Alabama, you know they're going to they're going to make Bryce Young have cartoon numbers to win it back to back years. But if Bryce Young misses a game or two now, and they have to rely on their running back Jameer Gibbs to lead them to victories, he started the season at around twenty eight to one, then went down to fifty to one. That's where I got him at fifty yeah. to one. Last week he was a hundred to one. This week, twenty to one. Wow, that's the jump. A big game. That's the jump. Well, he had over two hundred yards and a couple of touchdowns. So that's the jump for uh, Jameer Gibbs. Bryce Young, meanwhile, saw his odds kind of stay around the same. He's still at ten to one to win the Heisman Trophy. And Alabama hosting Texas A and M this week. If you remember in the preseason, this was talked about as one of the biggest games of the year. Well, now it is Alabama minus twenty four hosting the Texas A&M Aggies, an expected bloodletting in Tuscaloosa. Well, AJ, as the Major League Baseball season winds down, there are just two days left. We have today and then tomorrow. But there are a boatload of double headers as these teams have to finish out the their slate. schedules. So let's get you caught up on what you need to know in Major League Baseball. for Here Tuesday, October 4th, it's time for The Look Ahead. And the day will start bright and early in Arlington, Texas. Game one of a doubleheader between the Yankees and the Rangers. Jamison Tyone on the hill for the Yankees. John Gray for the Rangers. The storyline here, Aaron Judge going for home run number 62. Game two of that doubleheader will feature Garrett Cole getting his final regular season assignment. And the Rangers have not announced a starting pitcher. Might as well be the mascot. Could might as well, exactly. Uh, the Mets and the Nationals will play a doubleheader at City Field. It'll be Carlos Carrasco against Corey Abbott. That was the scheduled matchup here for uh, yesterday that did not get played. Game two of the doubleheader, Taiwan Walker against Paolo Espino. There's no odds on these games just yet because what happens with doubleheaders is managers could change things around. They can sure. decide, oh, instead of this pitcher pitching game one, I'm going to pitch him game two. So you see undecided pitchers. You see some lines. Some lines might be out there. Then they go away. And then your bets are going to get voided because they're listed pitchers. And I'm not getting into that. But let's talk about the Mets real quick. Still alive for the National League East Division. The Braves lost to the Marlins yesterday. The Mets did not play. So the Mets are a game and a half back. This is going to get interesting because the Braves take on the Marlins. Tonight, Jake Odorizzi gets a start for Atlanta. Braxton Garrett for the Marlins. If the Braves lose that game and the Mets sweep the doubleheader, the NL East will come down to Wednesday, which will mean a Braves win. They clinch. A Mets win and a Braves loss. The Mets win. Why is this even more interesting, AJ? National League Cy Young favorite Sandy Alcantara was scheduled to pitch on Wednesday against the Braves. Don Mattingly has announced Alcantara is done for the season. He will not pitch in that game. You and I differ in opinions on this, and I think it has a lot to do with you being a Mets fan. I'm not a Mets fan, but I have a ticket on the Mets to win the National League East. (laughs) Then that's what I think we differ on, (laughs) because I feel like this is smart. The, The Marlins have absolutely nothing to pay for. They've got one guy who's worth anything to that organization. He leads the league in innings pitched by like 23 innings. They've already worked the hell out of this dude. Why pitch him in a meaningless game? 
Marlins don't care if the Braves or the Mets uh, win the division. They know they're not winning. Let's be fair. It it could not come down to this. The Braves could win here tonight, and then it's all over. Or the Mets could lose one of the games, and it could all be over. But I like Don Mattingly's point that, listen, if it comes down to that They had 161 days to figure it out. You had time to get this taken care of. That's on you, friend, not on me. Boy, but the Mets fans would be so upset that Alcantara was supposed to pitch that game. And Alcantara beat the Braves twice in like a one-week span a couple of months ago, so uh, he is that dude. Uh, moving on in the schedule, the Royals are at the Guardians, Cleveland minus 190, Cal Quantrill on the hill against Daniel Lynch. Tigers are at the Mariners, that's game one of a doubleheader, Eduardo Rodriguez against Marco Gonzalez, game two of a doubleheader in Seattle will feature uh, Chris Flexen getting the start for the Mariners, no announced pitcher yet for the Tigers. Cardinals are at the Pirates, and Dakota Hudson gets the start for St. Louis, JT Brubaker for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mentioned that Braves-Marlins game. Cubs are at the Reds. Luis Sessa goes for Cincinnati. And uh, Javier Assad for the Cubbies. The Blue Jays are at the Orioles. Mitch White goes for Toronto against um, Mike Bauman, I believe, getting the start for the Orioles. Rays are at the Red Sox. The Rays still alive to get that second wild card. We talked about that earlier here, the positioning in the American League. Jeffrey Springs gets the start for Tampa. Nathan Yavaldi for the Red Sox. Tampa minus 115. Diamondbacks are at the Brewers. The Brewers have just been eliminated yesterday. It's unbelievable. This was a team that had a five-game lead at the trade deadline, traded away their best relief pitcher, got no offense in return. And missed the playoffs. It almost like you had to try to miss the playoffs if mm-hmm. you were the Brewers. And they did it. So here's the situation. We have a team that has just been eliminated from postseason contention. And they will throw Eric Lauer on the mound against our boy, Zach Gallen. The Diamondbacks are minus 115 favorites with Zach Gallen on the hill. We got to go Arizona, right? Minus 115? Yeah. I don't know much about Eric Lauer, but that's, it seems like value on Gallon. Speaking of Zach Gallon, he's, I mean, the, the you can still bet uh, on, I think, FanDuel, the odds to win the National League Cy Young Award. Sandy Alcantara is minus 20,000. Okay, like so he's won it. Yeah. Well, we don't know. I mean, writers could do something crazy. Zach Gallon is plus 10,000. Zach Gallon this year, 12 and 3, with a 246 ERA and a .8. Nine whip. That's pretty imp- impressive. On the Diamondbacks. On, yeah, on a bad team. It's funny. Remember a couple, several months ago on the Dream Preview Pod, where I gave out Zach Gallon to win the National yeah. League Cy Young, and then he went on. He lost like two games in a row, and everyone was like, "Man, Scott doesn't know what he's talking about." I don't think he's lost one game since. You should have given it out at plus ten thousand. <laughs> I should have given it out plus ten thousand. Uh, let's see. We got the Phillies at the Astros. The Phillies have already clinched, so maybe they take it easy in this game. Maybe a little bit of celebrating. No. Not the case. Why? Still positioning to be fought for. They could get that series against the Mets, who maybe they think they could beat in a wild card series, as opposed to playing against the Cardinals. Phillies are still uh, chasing down the second wild card position from the San Diego Padres. They will face the Astros. Ranger Suarez for the Phillies. Justin Verlander for the Houston Astros. Verlander and the Astros, minus 190 favorites. The Twins are at the White Sox. Two teams have nothing to play for. Do we we like the White Sox? Since uh, Tony La Russa steps down due to health reasons, 
just by the fact that a, a, a trained monkey could manage a baseball team better than Tony La Russa. They've been without him, though, for you know several weeks now as uh, he's been away from the team with his health it. issues. But, yeah, uh, the White Sox are a favorite in this game. Because who's pitching for him? Lucas Giolito. 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 He goes against Josh Winder for the Twinkies. Uh, White Sox minus 130. The Angels are at the A's. L.A. minus 135. Cole Irvin starts for Oakland. Michael Lorenzen goes for the Halos. Shohei Otani extended his hitting streak to 18 games last night. And in that stretch, he's had a .90 ERA and 25 strikeouts in 20 innings pitched. He continues to be unbelievable. If you, I saw a tweet, and I, I hate that I can't credit it because I don't know who, who wrote the tweet, but it compared the stats from Justin Verlander's MVP season to Shohei Otani's MVP season, or excuse, Shohei Otani's this season pitching, and then added all his stats, his 34 homers, 94 RBIs, and a, like a 147 OPS plus on top of that. I've come to the to the side that it's going to be hard to not give Aaron Judge the MVP, but I'm also still firmly in the camp that if anyone votes for Shohei Otani, I'm not going to be mad at him. That dude continues to be an absolute freak show. He would be the MVP in any other year except for this year. He's got better numbers than previous MVPs. He's got better numbers than previous Cy Young winners. <laughs> <laughs> but Aaron Judge is four percentage points away from being the triple crown winner in the American League. Not just 61 home runs tying a record from Roger Maris 61 years ago, but also becoming the second triple crown winner since Carl Yastrzemski. So he's right behind Luis Arise. The Yankees have a doubleheader. If Luis Arise has a bad game for the Twins and Judge has two good games for the Yankees, he could beat him in batting average. And then, what if he eclipses Luis Arise tomorrow? Does he not play on the final game? If he doesn't have 62? No, he's got to go. If he gets 62. What's more important, the triple crown or 62? That's a good question. I I remember uh, it was, I don't know what year it was, Jose Reyes of the Mets was in the running for the batting title. He got a single in his first at bat of the last game of the season, and then they pulled him from the game. So it preserved the batting title for Jose Reyes. Makes sense. And it was like uh, not a little bit of a controversy. but And I think that's the thing with Judge. if he, They're going to hit him until he hits that home run. Yeah. If he hits that home run and he's still chasing the triple crown, I think he keeps playing. If he's not, I think he sits. Yeah, that's fair. And if he goes maybe one for four, and it's the home run, and Luis Arise goes three for three tomorrow. It's over. It's over. The triple crown's not in reach. Uh, wrapping up the schedule here for tonight, Sean Manaya gets to start for the Padres against the Giants. The Giants haven't announced a starting pitcher yet, and like I mentioned, the Padres are just ahead of the Phillies in that second wild card position in the National League. And then finally, the Rockies take on the Dodgers. Julio Urias gets to start against Ryan Feltner, and the Dodgers are minus 385 favorites. Last night on pregame.com, AJ, I gave out the Colorado Rockies plus 300. We talked about it on Straight Out of Vegas AM yesterday. Tony Gonsolin making his first start off the IL. I said, you know what? We don't know how long this guy's going to go. He's probably only going to pitch three innings because it's his first start. They're going to manage his pitch count. And why are we giving this guy... 
minus 300 when he's only going to face the lineup one time. In fact, didn't face the lineup one time. How long did he go? Two innings. Ah. And what was the final score? Two to one Rockies. Ah, so plus 300 winner? Plus 300 winner, friend. We'll take it. And if you want more of those selections, go to pregame.com where you could uh, get a package from any one of our pregame pros. And I'll tell you what, I'll even give you a discount. Use the code Vegas20. Give you 20% off any package on pregame.com. That's a good deal. That's an absolutely great deal. You want AJ's UFC picks, college football, dude's on fire. Get that 20% off. Steve Fezzik, he's got his NFL picks. That dude's up over 100 units this year. Go to pregame.com. You get my baseball postseason package, whatever you want. Vegas 20, 20% off that package right there. And if you are listening to this podcast on the Dream Preview podcast feed, we'll still be here for the rest of this week, but then you will only be able to find us on our separate Straight Out of Vegas AM feed. You can just search for Straight Out of Vegas AM wherever you get your podcasts from. We're on Apple. Google, Spotify, uh, I don't even know what other apps there are out there, iHeart. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Straight out of Vegas AM episodes are released every morning, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. So subscribe to the podcast, the new feed, Straight Out of Vegas AM, wherever you get your podcasts from. He's AJ Hoffman. I'm Scott Seidenberg. We will talk to you tomorrow on SOVAM as well as on the Dream Preview feed for the College Football Podcast, where we went six and two in the contest last week. Back in the thick of things. We are back, baby. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great Tuesday.